This is J.G. Hertz, the General Mar Talker on Deep Space Nine, and you're listening to Trek FM. Hello, and welcome to Season 7, Episode 13 of Commentary, Trek Stars, a show which deals with the work of Star Trek creators outside of Star Trek. I'm Mike. I'm John. And today is the fourth part of our series on J.J. Abrams looking at his work as a producer only, not a director. And we're going to be looking at the fourth movie, which he produced for someone else, Cloverfield. Yeah. All right. Cloverfield. Cloverfield. So this movie has a very interesting history and to me it's significant to our discussion in that it's the first time that a movie was promoted as being from producer J.J. Abrams Mm -hmm. you know I guess uh, I mean (laughs) I don't think that it was because of the pallbearer and the suburbans Mm, and no uh, no Joyride, but for whatever reason, J.J. <laughs> Abrams's name as a producer was now a valuable thing. It was a valuable commodity. He was the biggest name on this movie. Yeah, I think it had more to do with his television stuff. Because uh, even even though he had directed Mission Impossible Three and that was a success, I think Lost and Alias were the big. Oh things. yeah. Yeah, well, I I think even by this point, Lost had overpowered Alias. Alias had started to fade from memory, and Lost was the event television at this time. Yeah. Like, everybody was watching Lost. Mm Mm-hmm. So, you know, obviously some people weren't, but we're not worried about them. (laughs) But yes, a lot of people were. And, yeah, J.J. Abrams' name was enough to carry a movie, a movie without stars. Uh, In fact, um, it's kind of interesting if you look at the history of this movie and I I remember the history of this movie's marketing vividly because I was there dealing with it the tr- first trailer for this movie premiered with the Transformers the first Transformers movie not yeah. the Transformers the movie unfortunately but just Transformers yes the first movie and the way that, you know, like, I was working at a movie theater at the time, and mm-hmm. we were playing Transformers, and the the way that uh, trailers work on movies is usually the, there's a, especially with a big movie like Transformers, there will be a million trailers in the can, and one trailer which is physically attached to the print. And the trailer which is physically attached to the print is almost always a trailer for one of the movies from the studio who's releasing this film. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you can kind of usually guess what that movie is. And this was, was summer of 2007. Mm-hmm. And there, there's usually a note which comes in these cans which says, you know, uh, this is your print of Transformers. The trailer attached to it is, you know, Batman versus Superman or whatever the, the movie is. You right, know? right. So the, for this movie... For Transformers, we we get the thing. For for one thing, more security on the print of Transformers than had ever been seen on any print up until that point. This was the first time that a print came with the cans padlocked shut, 
with a combination lock. And the movie, the theaters were, were given the prints. And then, uh, uh, like a couple days later, like the, the day before the movie opened, we were given the combination to unlock the can so that we could build the movie and, you know, play it. Okay, <laughs> wow. so super amount of secrecy on top of I, this, right? I don't think a Michael Bay movie has seen security like that before or since. Nope, probably not. I, because probably I, not. I, guarantee, I guarantee you nobody looked at that lock and was like, oh, wow, he's going to really surprise us this time. <laughs> I'm sure it was puzzling to be like, what? What the hell is this on here for? Yeah, you know, Pain and Gain that had two locks on it, you know. <laughs> The the 13 hours, you know, that was, you know, locked down tight, you know, <laughs> national security was on that one. Um, but no, it, you know, it, it, it was weird. So so I think maybe just because of, you know, that, my imagination was running wild, you know. And, and there were certainly times, you know, going back to Star Wars Episode One, where the trailers which, mm. you know, come out have like secret code names on them, right? Like, I think... For uh, episode one, I think it was Black Eyes or something like that. One of those, it was Black Eyes. You know, hmm. one of them, it was, uh, who knows, you know, whatever. You know, okay. they, they just do random things like that where it's like, oh, you can't, you don't know what the, the, the movie is, you know, so no one's going to try to steal this movie, right? Because it's like, right. who cares about a movie called Black Eyes? Who's heard of that? So the um, the trailer, which was attached to this movie, Transformers, was um, an untitled J.J. Abrams production codenamed Cloverfield, right? Mm-hmm. And it had just been announced that J.J. was going to be directing Star Trek, right? So, yeah, like, uh-huh, I remember, yeah. like, seeing this this paper and, like, standing there, you know, at work with <laughs> Max and being like, I think I think this might be a Star Trek trailer. Do you think this is a Star Trek trailer? And Max is like, no. And I'm like, no, no. I think it's a Star Trek trailer. I really do. I'm super excited. We're going to get to see a trailer for the new Star Trek movie. You know, and then yeah. we see the trailer, and it's like, oh, that's not Star Trek. But even on that trailer, which was footage from the movie, I don't know if you remember the trailer. Do you remember it all? No, I don't remember the trailer. I it's, do not. It's basically like footage from the the party scene at the beginning, but it's actually the trailer was shot prior to production on the movie. So it's basically the same types of scenes that you're seeing at the beginning with mm-hmm. the party, but they're different. They're not it's not the same takes or anything like that. Okay. And that doesn't really matter because they're just trying to say like, oh, it's a party with, you know, found footage, whatever. And then there's this monster attack and then you see the Statue of Liberty head, you know, rolling down the street, you That's know, and people right. screaming. Okay, now I remember it. Now I remember it. Now that you're saying, yeah, I remember that now. And throughout the, the trailer, you know, there's a few flashes and it says like from producer J.J. Abrams. And then the thing rolls down the street and then the date comes up and it just says one like zero one eighteen oh eight, and then it fades to black, right? Yeah. They don't even say the name of the movie on there, which everyone thought the movie was going to be called one eighteen oh eight. You know, and yeah. we were calling it you know Cloverfield because that was the name on the the thing. And and I remember like reading somewhere like there is a top secret J.J. Abrams film, which is being called Cloverfield, but it's just a working title. 
And like I even looked back on like a film projectionist forum to see like the list of trailers, you know, that were, you know, this is like legacy stuff, which was written, posted by some random projectionist that when it, that came out and even they list the name as Cloverfield, you know. Right. But this thing did not have a title. And everyone's like, well, what's the what's the movie? You know, we don't even know what that movie is. We just know that it comes out on January 18th, 2008. Yeah. And it's very strange, and yet, you know, sort of like building that mystery, building that hype machine in, in, in a way that J.J. Abrams is now known for, like, this was way super, like, we're not even going to tell you what this movie is called, you know? You just have to see it. <laughs> and Which might be difficult, since you don't know what it's called. <laughs> <laughs> and And it wasn't until, you know, a couple months later, I guess, where they were just like, yeah, it's called Cloverfield. And everyone's like, mm-hmm. well, that's interesting. What? Wait, well, what's the title mean? And people are like, you know, you just have to wait and see. And then you watch it and it's like, well, the title doesn't really mean anything. No, you know? it doesn't really. <laughs> like I still, even rewatching it, I was like, I was looking for any sort of hook somewhere in the movie besides the, you know, the thing that plays over the opening where it's like, you know, where they designate the area Cloverfield and stuff. I was like, there's got to be something. And I still think there's got to be some sort of, deeper meaning but i think that probably i think that because jj J. abrams has conditioned me to think that there's a deeper meaning to everything mm-hmm. like because i know that the the title changed a couple of times like they couldn't quite settle on a title yeah so to me that means that likely they just you know they were just trying to come up with ideas and this was the best one and they were like oh that, that sticks sure yeah I've heard different. I heard that that's like the name of the street that Bad Robots offices are on, or something. Uh, it's the exit, actually. That, okay, but I but I mean, like in universe for the movie. Oh yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Why would they use that designation or something like that? Like, is Central Park now nothing but a clover field because everybody everybody's been blown up or something? You know, that and sort they, of thing. They've hinted that there is like, oh, uh, you know, I'm not telling. I'm not telling what the meaning is. You know, that kind of thing. Like I heard for a while there, it was like something from the writer Drew Goddard's like childhood or something. But I really think there is nothing to it. I really think it was just like, we don't have a title. Let's call it Cloverfield. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Which no, I guess I, is as good as any. Well, I, you know, it, it it's a, you know, it, it, why not make it just a, you know, real world in joke? Sort of thing, and yeah. then you know he's got enough PT Barnum in him, right? To keep people going, so, oh, you're close. Maybe it does mean that, and mm-hmm. everybody's just going to keep trying to think: is there a meaning to this? Yep, yep. Yeah. I, you know, I mean, what's the meaning behind Reservoir Dogs? You know? Oh uh, no, you know the the history. Why it's na- titled that? I mean, I've heard different stories. I don't know. Oh if well, any the of them the, the one I know is that uh, his girlfriend wanted to take him to see. It was the French film. Uh, it was like. La Revoir en Fall or something like that. Uh-huh. And he said back to his girlfriend, uh, I don't want to see no Reservoir Dogs. Oh. And supposedly that's where the title came from, according to this, the version of the story that I've heard. That's, that's as valid as any any version, you know? Why yeah. not? Yeah, sure. it works. It works, yeah. you know? But it's a great title, nonetheless. Right? It is. It sticks. So so this thing did finally come out January 18th, 2008. Um, and by the way, uh, just for the sake of history, the first teaser for Star Trek 09 was attached to the front of Cloverfield. Um, I finally got my, my, my wish. <laughs> and uh, a very interesting teaser, by the way. Another teaser which has footage in it, which is not from the movie itself, where they're assembling yeah. the ship. 
And, you know, and it says at the end, like, launching December 20-whatever it was, 2008, well, because they hadn't pushed the release date back yet. Even Episode 7 has stuff in it that's not, for, you know, that didn't make the final cut. And it's, yeah. So I guess I guess it's part of Abrams' signature now. <laughs> I mean, it keeps things closed, you know, cloaked in secrecy if you're I not even so. seeing actual footage. I guess so. Yeah, you know, I mean, with with Cloverfield, it was just because they hadn't shot the footage yet. With with Star Trek, it, it was really, it wasn't like, it's not like an alternate take or anything. It's literally, yeah. it's almost a prequel to the movie, you know? And it's just like yeah. a bunch of like guys, like welders and stuff building the, it's a really great trailer, actually. Oh, I agree. I, I thought I thought yeah. the, the that first Star Trek trailer was, I had goosebumps because it had, you know, the it had Kennedy's speech playing over it about oh, the yeah, space program, yeah. and it was it was a beautiful homage to what inspired the show in the first place. And it was like, yeah, I mean the tra- the trailer for his first Star Trek movie was amazing. Yeah. yeah, of course, you know, everyone complained about the fact that the ship is being built on Earth and not in space, but whatever. You know, I didn't care. I and nobody care else should either. Yeah, it doesn't matter. <laughs> If that's the worst uh, problem with that movie, then that's an amazing movie, you know? Uh, I'd say that's a fair argument. Yeah. Yeah. So Cloverfield came out January 18th, 2008, you know, with the trailer for Star Trek attached. And it was directed by Matt Reeves, our old friend from the Paul Bearer. Yes. (laughs) But this time with a script by Drew Goddard, or should I say Academy Award nominee Drew Goddard, because he's currently nominated for The Martian. And that is exactly what it's going to say on future reissues of Cloverfield (laughs) to hype up for the next movie. Probably, probably. And uh, J.J. Abrams' co-producer on this film was his uh, co-bad robot, Brian Burke, the guy who runs Bad Robot for him and who produces most of the the Bad Robot movies along with J.J. Sometimes there's some variation as to who's producing what, but uh, Brian Burke is the producer of Star Trek Into Darkness, and mm-hmm. um, depending on who you listen to or what you read, he is also the producer, along with J.J., of uh, Star Trek Beyond, um, or at the very least, he's an executive producer, and he's one of the members or was one of the members of the Supreme Court for yeah. Star Trek. Yeah, the, yes, right. Yeah, the Supreme Court of Canon or whatever. Yeah, yeah. which was, you know, what, what was it? It was J.J., Brian Burke, and then uh, Kurt... Kurtzman, Orsi, and Lindelof. Yep. And the idea mm-hmm. was like these five people are sort of like the the brain trust or whatever to, to make sure that Star Trek is going to work on, you know, different levels. You know, obviously J.J. is the director and blah, blah, blah. Orsi is the super fan who's going to mm-hmm. look at it from that perspective. And Brian Burke um, is the guy who never watched Star Trek growing up or anything and could not care less about it. And his main job on that first movie from a creative standpoint was sort of the check and balance, which made sure that it worked for the non-fan, which is kind of interesting. Um, So, yeah, uh, those were the people behind the scenes uh, in, in front of the camera were a bunch of people who at the time you had never heard of, but a lot of them have gone on to become, you know, big big things or semi big things. 
Um, Recognizable names at the very least. Sure, sure. So would you want to give a synopsis of this movie? Uh, Yes. Uh, A passably professional-looking young man is about to uh, embark on a journey to Japan to take over as VP of something for a company. Uh, He's somewhat love-struck with somebody uh, who is... It is an unrequited love. Um, And as soon as the evening goes sideways and his heart is breaking and everybody's very emotional, a Lovecraftian horror arises from the deep and lays siege upon New York City. And um, wackiness ensues. Yeah, and the whole thing is done from the perspective of a home video camera. Yes. Uh, which begins its evening as a documentarian for this party and which mm-hmm. becomes, graduates into a, a documentarian for the end of the world. Well, the end of New York City. I guess so. At yes. the very least. The end The end of, of New York City's world. Yeah. Yeah. So, so um, yeah, what, what did you think about Cloverfield? It is a fun monster movie. It was more fun the first time I saw it. Uh, I did see it in the movie theater. It was a lot of fun. It was. It really is um, something where you know you sort of unplug your brain because there are certain logistical, like with any type of horror movie, where there are certain logistical things where you just kind of like don't, nope, okay, just walk away from that and just have fun. And so long as you can do that, you'll have fun with it. Um, And, you know, so I enjoy it. It's not something that I would go back to on a consistent basis, but I didn't mind rewatching it. You know, that there were there were things that I enjoyed seeing it. It had been long enough, but this isn't something that's going to be in heavy rotation, because I think once the surprise factor that they had built toward with that marketing campaign, once that's gone, you can sort of sit down and watch in a a somewhat detached fashion. Um for, and admire the the technical artistry that that went into creating this, but it doesn't pack the same sort of emotional punch uh, the second time through. At least that's my take on it. Yeah, I can see that. Um, I I love this movie. You know, I mean, I, I I'm I'm a big fan of in theory of the sort of like found footage movie. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, which kind of started with the Blair Witch Project and now has ballooned into kind of a, a monster of its own in terms of film genres where yeah. a, a lot of people just use it as sort of like a crutch and it's like why are you even it doesn't even make any sense but you know it, back in the early days and this was even though it was nine years after Blair Witch Project it was the early days of the found footage movie oh I yeah think. no it, yeah it was still a rarity Absolutely. this kind of like reignited it it's weird like talking to um you know, like teenagers, you know, like younger kids who are way into horror movies from the past, you know, couple of years, they're, I think, kind of sick and tired of the found footage movie. But to them, mm-hmm. they've always seen it as just this thing that exists, this subgenre of horror. You know, and you talk about like, well, have you seen Blair Witch? That was the first one. They're like, oh, yeah, I've heard about it. That's just one of those. It's just one of those found footage movies, right? And it's like, yeah. no, that's no, that's the found footage movie. Everything else is just riffing on this thing, you know? And yeah. Cloverfield, too, is riffing on that. But it's that on a massive scale. 
And to me, it is like the Citizen Kane of found footage movies. You know, it's it's taking that that conceit and applying it to a big budget monster movie. You know, and yeah. and and yeah. I think that that's just sort of like it's so interesting to see like those conflicting aesthetics you know crash into each other and the result i think is just like this amazing you know experience really um i i was way 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 into it when i when i first watched it and even now i mean i think well i think part of the key to its success is the length you know the fact that it's an hour yes. and 24 minutes and about 10 of those minutes are credits, you know? Yeah. It's really freaking short. And I think that that's really yeah. smart on their part. Um, but Yeah, I agree. But I, I love, you know, sort of the way that it builds, the way that they, they use the the footage that is being recorded over as sort of like a breakup and, and almost like a bookend to the main story. And I think it is a really intelligently crafted love story slash monster movie you know i'm it i i think that the love story in this works better than it does in most romances and Hmm. i think that the monster movie stuff works really well too because they don't try to over explain it you barely do know anything about it and it really does feel as if there is a much larger um, Michael Bay esque Godzilla movie going on in the background, and we are really just seeing this perspective from one of the people who is mm-hmm. running through the streets trying not to get eaten. I I don't disagree with what you say about the technical side of it. Uh, again, like the the it is utterly convincing, even the second time through. Like it, you will get swept up, especially in the monster part of it. I don't agree with you about the romance part of it, but possibly there's some part of me that's dead inside because <laughs> even the first time I saw it, I walked out of the theater and I looked over at my wife and I said, well, just so you know, hon, if I'm running for my life and you're you're in uptown and I'm in downtown, I love you, but, you know, you want me to get out, don't you? You want me to survive, right? And she she would she'd be a trooper and she'd say yes and i hope you understand hun that the same applies and i'd be like oh oh if 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 i'm sitting there and i got a piece of rebar sticking through my (laughs) shoulder and i open my eyes and my wife is showing up to save me i'd look at her and be like you're an idiot you were scot-free get out of here what are you doing but hey that's that's definitely true but you know love knows no bounds i guess i don't know to to me i don't know i guess what i what i think of more than anything in terms of that and yeah that is over the top and kind of ridiculous and especially for the other three people you know i mean i don't know yes this is this is something that you know we, we we talk about a lot in terms of um, movie romances and everything and you know something which max has said on occasion where it's like there's n- never like there's never a movie where you see a romance and you say oh i totally believe that romance or i i mean there have been times i guess where you, uh, certainly times where you say i totally don't believe that romance but like as far as like a romance working like love is so weird and intangible and especially to to convey that over the span of like two hours it's very very rare 
where you can look at something and just be like, oh, yeah, those two characters, I can totally see why they fell in love. You almost sort of like have to take the filmmaker's word for mm-hmm. it because I, it's such an arbitrary thing. You know what I mean? I, I disagree with that thesis overall. Um, I mean, I, I could readily point to things like Last of the Mohicans, totally by that love story. I mean, there's rare exceptions, you know, like before Sunrise, you know, and, and everything. It, it, there there are certainly exceptions. But like, for example, I just watched French Kiss, directed by Lawrence Kasdan. Um, I had never seen it before. And mm-hmm. there, the relationship there between Meg Ryan and, and Kevin Klein, Klein, I was just like, okay, so I guess they're in love. I mean, sure, they're in love. Why not? You know? But they could have just as easily not been in love, you know. I, you know, I think it it just it just speaks to quality of the movie. But like, I I think getting even if okay, so so let's say I step aside from that, and I totally buy that there's this guy that's gonna he would rather be dead by her side than alive and honor her memory. Okay, yeah. Let's take that. I think you mentioned it in passing. The other three that go with him, yeah. Right. I. I, I don't I don't know. Maybe if it was my brother, I would be like, oh, fine, I'll go with you. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know many other people I'm going to be going with, <laughs> you know? Yeah, no, I know what you're saying. Um, but, I mean, I think that this is a case where the love story itself, though, does work. And I think that it really kind of, like, speaks to the quality of the writing, um, that they're able to do it in this setting so economically, you know, and, and mm-hmm. using the, the format, you know, in order to, to accomplish that goal, I think is really cool. You know, you see these people at the beginning who are obviously in love. Why they're in love, we don't know. But we know that they're, you know, longtime friends who have fallen in love, which, okay, that's as valid a reason as any. And then you start seeing basically the end of their relationship just as the world is ending. And now, the kind of like mirroring that with you know the larger scope of the film i think is really interesting in terms of like thematics where it's like this guy who you know he had no control over his life and you know this he had no control over this relationship and now the world is ending and he has no control over that but he at the very least can try to salvage his relationship you know with with this woman and, you know, just the way that it ends, I think, is also, like, really kind of beautiful in a in a weird, tragic monster movie way. Oh, I, I, I don't disagree. I mean, like, in terms of the way, I, I think you're right, it, it tells it in a very efficient, economical way. Like, I, the dialogue in this is so effective in using, and it, it makes the whole thing work, because it's real snippets it's the Mm -hmm. type of snippets of conversation that people have in real life yeah they don't have expository moments where they say oh well you remember i've been friends with beth for a very long time and well there was one day like it's just snippets here and there and then you know somebody running with that and repeating it to somebody else so yeah i mean I would say that Cloverfield is one of those movies where even somebody like myself who has trouble sometimes discerning exactly how much uh, the screenplay can steer the final product. Like for me, Cloverfield very much is, I I would say, like a a clear cut case where if I wanted to explain to somebody 
what difference the writing on a, a movie and what difference the dialogue can make, I would point to Cloverfield. That's one yeah. of those technical aspects where I would say, look at all of the information they give you in this 85-minute movie that just, you know, you know everything that you need to know. And you, you're, there isn't a single question at the end of the movie where you're dissatisfied uh, either with the answer or not having the answer. Like, you're... I, like, I don't think anybody's dissatisfied walking out of this. Like, where did the monster come from? What's going on? Like, that's that's treated appropriately as background noise of mm-hmm. if I'm trying to survive, I'm not going to stop and try to figure out why this giant skyscraper tall horror is chasing me. Yeah. I'm just trying to live. And so I might, you know, they, they have different speculatory moments, but really the the script is so tightly written that uh you know it, it's just it is really good at conveying all of its information very quickly yeah yeah and and that you know that that the the way that the like you're saying the way that the script is written where you don't know you don't get any of the answers and you feel like the people do have some answers like there is that larger movie that Roland Emmerich movie playing in the background i think is pretty awesome <laughs> how they don't try to explain anything and of course that goes into jj's whole mystery box thing i mean that to me is the mystery box being used appropriately and very very effectively and it really i mean people were talking i had one friend who was obsessed with this movie and more than anything like the only thing that he really cared about was what's going on with this monster you know he wanted to see what it looked like he wanted to know where it came from you know and everything and he dug deep to try to get answers you know which weren't out there really well i i will say and this is one thing where i will steer clear of any sort of spoiler but if anybody hasn't seen this film um that's listening to this there is a very distinct hint as to at least what causes this in so like it's in there and you just gotta be paying attention but it's there. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think I, I still don't, I don't think it's spoiling it to even go so far as to say, like, pay attention to the very last shot. Yes. Okay. You're right. Yeah. That, that doesn't spoil anything. And again, it's not definitive. Mm-hmm. It's even that is open to speculation. Yeah. And that's what's, I mean, it's great fun. It really is a, a lot of fun. Although I do want to ask, uh, so long as we're, you know, we're talking about the monster. Uh, what did you think of the design of it? Well, it's interesting that you should say that because the design of it is probably the other big Star Trek connection. It was designed by Neville Page, mm-hmm. who worked on a lot of creature designs for Star Trek 09 and Into Darkness. He did the the monsters in the cave that chase Captain Kirk into, you know. The, the cave on on where where he sees old Spock and everything like that and did he design the Klingons for the new one? I want to say that he did. I don't know. I'm not positive, but anyway, he's he's very much sort. I mean, he's J.J. Abrams's guy, right? And you see that monster in Star Trek 09, and you're like, oh, that's the Cloverfield monster. And then you see the yeah. monster in Super 8, and you're like, oh, that's the Cloverfield monster. Yeah, and it has a very distinct look and I know that it's very polarizing and I think that it's really weird 
and creative, but to me, it's it doesn't really work. It feels unwieldy. Uh, I, I will say that it's scarier than most monster monster big you know Godzilla type of monsters, but mm-hmm. maybe because it's so weird. But there's things about it where I'm like, ah, that doesn't really work. And I will say though the little ones that pop off of him Ugh. and chase them in the subways, yeah. those things are freaking terrifying. That subway scene is the scariest thing I've ever seen in my life. Oh, my I, God. I agree with you that those <laughs> those little things are horrifying <laughs> yes. on so many levels that yes. uh, it is. And what happens, yes, what happens mm-hmm. to one character as a result of meeting one yeah. is... Like that is one of my that that's like that's like ranks up there on the list of nightmares. Like meeting one of meeting uh, the scanners and having them like get into my brain. Yeah, you yeah. know that's awful, awful. But see, the yes, the 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 monster is yeah. There, there's a signature look to the monster, and it was just I remember very distinctly. Uh, conversations with my own friends at the time where there were a lot of them that were disappointed that they weren't uh, suitably horrified by the large monster mm-hmm. like they expected it to be something that was going to inhabit their nightmares for all time whereas i considered it effective enough because i could believe that it could move under its own power and do these things mm-hmm. you know like i i don't you know, and, and again, this speaks to the sort of like the the brain disconnect thing. That what it withstands is, you know, pretty pretty amazing. You know, in a lot of ways, yeah, pretty amazing. Yeah, no, um, that's true. But that yeah. that kind of just makes it scarier to me. I don't know. I mean, yeah, I you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna say that uh, with what it withstands uh, through the course of the of the movie. Um, they would have they would have called a, a, a nuke in mm-hmm. pretty quickly. They'd have been like, "Up, oh, this is the only way we can deal with this." Sorry, guys. Yeah, no, I mean that 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 could be true. Um. Okay, you know what? Let, let's 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 talk about this because it, it it will kind of like lead us to things. But first off, okay, first off, I just want to say this is kind of unrelated, but mm-hmm. I, and Kevin Stitt is the editor on this film. Mm-hmm. Um. I think he does a fantastic job. I just think that he, his his work on this movie is amazing, and he's a great editor who edited um, The Kingdom for Peter Berg. I don't know if you saw that movie. Did not. It's really good, but Kevin Stitt edited that, and it was it was it was really great. And he did amazing work on this. But whatever, um, that's not related to anything that we're talking about, really. But um, but it deserves. I agree with you. It deserves to be to be called out because the editing is amazing, including the choice of where to put those little uh, bits of the SD card that didn't get written over yeah. that provide those little really quick snippets of what this relationship truly meant to the yeah. main character through the entire movie. I completely agree. The editing's yeah. great. Yeah. Um but the the story and this is where JJ J. Abrams's influence I think comes into it and is something that is much more prevalent than the other than the first two movies that that he produced is this whole thing as the story goes came from a a an idea by JJ J. Abrams in a sense in that uh he was he was talking with his friends and colleagues about the poster for Escape from New York 
which I think we discussed last week. Which yeah, I don't know if you remember the poster for the for Escape from yes, New York. Yes, Statue of Liberty head. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Snake Plissken running through the streets mm-hmm. with the Statue of Liberty headline in the middle of New York, right? Yes. And Abrams's, you know, kind of like take on that poster is, you know, while Escape from New York is amazing and you wouldn't touch a frame of it, it's kind of disappointing that you see that poster and you're thinking like, oh my God, there's going to be a Statue of Liberty head lying in the middle of the street and that doesn't happen. Like the movie doesn't live up to the poster in that sense, right? And okay. he was like, the argument. he's like, I want to see a movie where the Statue of Liberty head is in the middle of the street and that's in the freaking movie, you know, where the the movie does live up to the poster in a sense. And that one image sort of like became the genesis of Cloverfield. Now, Abrams did not write it himself. It was written by Drew Goddard, who's, you know, a fantastic writer, Academy Award nominee Drew Goddard uh, for (laughs) for The Martian, you know, but who uh, prior to this had worked with uh, Joss Whedon a lot on things like Buffy and Angel, if I'm not mistaken, and has since gone on to uh, co-write and direct, I would say, the best horror movie of the past 10 years at least, Cabin in the Woods. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yes, I would agree with you. Cabin in the Woods is, yes, it's fantastic. Uh, if there, if the you last haven't seen ten <laughs> seconds, maybe I have a problem with, but the rest of the film is beautiful and wonderfully constructed. If you haven't seen Cabin in the Woods and you don't know anything about it, good for you. Keep it that yeah. way. Find a copy of Cabin in the Woods right now. And watch it before anyone can tell you anything at all about it. Just go into it completely blind, and it will blow your mind. Yes. Uh, He co-wrote it with Joss Whedon. He directed it himself, and it's awesome. He's also the guy, a lot of people will will know him as, is the guy who created uh, the Daredevil show on Netflix. So. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. He is one talented chap. He is. He truly is. He is. And now he's an Academy Award nominee. And I highly, <laughs> highly recommend, there's this podcast, which um, it's morphed into something else. But at the time, I think it was uh, the Creative Screenwriting Podcast. It was associated with a magazine. Um, mm-hmm. It was hosted by, I, I think the guy's name is Jeff Goldsmith, where what he would do is he would show a movie and then afterwards do a Q&A with the writers of that movie. They've done them with uh, Kurtzman and Orsi on numerous occasions for numerous movies. Um, they did one with Matthew Michael Carnahan on The Kingdom, actually. Um, but they also did one for this with Drew Goddard. And the analysis that they get into in terms of like the making of the, the or the writing of this movie is really, really great. I highly recommend that podcast. Definitely check it out. There's a lot of good stuff in there. Um cool. But yeah, I mean, so so here's JJ kind of assembling his team, coming up with an idea, you know, having a guy who he knows he can trust. I think Goddard might have worked on Alias as well. Yeah, um, he, he he wrote he wrote some he wrote some Alias. Yeah. Um, yes. So he's he's writing it. Matt Reeves, who you know, JJ Abrams knew he could trust from his work on the Paul Bearer, or you know, whatever. Um, what? A, but I mean, what? A, you know, honestly, this is this is one of the things. This gets to where I, you know, I, I, I think it was the last show where I, I was talking about like the whole fail upwards thing, 
Uh, and I think it was because I was taking a dig at the Suburbans. Yeah. And I was like, oh, you know, you screw up and you keep going. Like, Paul Bearer was not something where I'd be like, oh, great work. You know, we all know what I thought of it. But, like, yeah. this is an example of, yeah, okay, he might have kind of whiffed on his first one. But, man, talk about knocking it home. Yeah. You know, the, the second time around, like, proving that you got the skill set to do something. Like, that's I, – I totally understand why he got – the later jobs that he did based on this, you know? Yeah. And in between he did create or co-create Felicity with JJ, you know? So, I mean, there was certainly stuff there and now he's really kind of turned this into his true calling where you look at like Paul Bearer and Felicity and you think like, Oh, he's the romantic comedy guy. Now because of Cloverfield, he's like the crazy sci-fi horror movie guy he, he, he did, runs the planet of the apes yeah he's runs the planet of the apes he did uh let me in which you said was really good right it is really good yeah really good so yeah he's really made a career for himself and he's made some very very high quality product you know which is cool yep. and it really does feel like a jj abrams production doesn't it it does Yes, it does. Uh, it looks like one. It feels like one, um, which is interesting because, uh, I, I, you know, I think to speak to what you said where it's like this is the first one where, like, Abrams's name is on it, like his name yeah. carries weight. I think that you probably see, uh, you know, he has more of a healthy involvement in it because he mm-hmm. knows that his name is good. Like, I think you can sense it with the first two. It's him just doing it as a job, whereas this is like, okay, guys – Time for our best foot forward. Let's yeah. make this look like a bad robot production. Right. Know? Exactly. Yeah. And there's another bad robot production coming out in a couple months. Um, Whatever do you mean? <laughs> okay. Okay. I know that we talked a, a little bit about this last week, but... Yeah. Okay. So, there was a movie, again, in production, which no one really knew anything about, called Valencia. A, a title as vague as Cloverfield, right? And, mm-hmm. you know, it was a bad robot production. It was apparently, I don't know ex- exactly a history, but these two up-and-coming writers wrote it, and it was handed off to be rewritten, I guess. And, you know, they sold this script to Bad Robot, as as I understand it, and they brought in a guy who has, um, I don't think he's directed any movies, but he's, you know, done some like he did some sort of like portal short film or something like that i don't know if viral commercials yeah yeah Yeah. you know and and he was directing it and they're like yeah it's this small movie which is being made by bad robot and it stars john goodman and mary elizabeth winstead and no one really knows anything about it and the title had changed a few times, even. It was called Valencia. It was called something else as random as Valencia. And, you know, that was it. And then, you know, word dropped that this movie, Valencia, was in fact a sequel of sorts to Cloverfield called 10 Cloverfield Lane. And that it was finished shooting. It was coming out March 11th. 
And yes, there is a trailer which is attached to the new Michael Bay movie, 13 Hours. <laughs> it's history, history repeating. repeating itself. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, the the trailer came out and people got really excited. No one knows what's going on. No one knows anything about the movie. No one knows how it's connected to Cloverfield. Um, but, yeah, we, we watched the trailer. I've watched the trailer a ton of times. What What did you think about the trailer? Can't wait to see it. Yeah. But seriously, like, you know, it, it's... Uh... It looks like it's um, completely different. I mean, they, you know, they said it's a uh, blood relative. It's not a direct sequel of Cloverfield, mm-hmm. um, but it is. Yeah, I mean, it was fa- it, it, It's the type of movie. It's the type of trailer that's going to get me in the seat because I'm dying to figure out why they're in there. What you know, whether she's going to get out that door, like who's everybody's relationship to somebody else, and that you know, like that that whole paranoid living in an underground shelter sort of thing just has echoes of the old classic um uh, you know like 1960s nuclear scare sort of stuff like i and that just immediately intrigues me and um yeah i i mean i i'm in the bag for it can't wait to see it yeah i can't wait to see it either you know my my reaction to to that trailer is very similar to my reaction to the original cloverfield trailer which is like what's going on and i i I can't wait to see this i love that it's not you know a found footage movie you know Mm -hmm. it, it has a different style i mean word on the street is that it was it didn't start its life as a cloverfield sequel or whatever you want to call it and that that was something that they decided during production Interesting. And people, that there's there's word that that this movie has tested, you know, they've done, they've done test screenings of it, and some people who have seen the test screenings have come out and said, if this is the movie which I was told at the test screening was named Valencia, then this is not a sequel to Cloverfield. It does not have anything to do with that movie. So it it could be that Cloverfield is becoming their sort of like brand for movies like that, like almost like a Twilight Zone kind of thing, you know? Yeah. Um, which okay. which I'm fine with too, you know? Almost like calling it a Grindhouse production. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm all for you know spiritual sequels. You know, I, I like that as a concept. You know. I mean, like trilogies, which don't have anything to do with each other, but are thematically similar, you know? Well, I mean, Carpenter was trying that with uh, the Halloween series originally. It was supposed yeah. to be a, a set of duologies, and Halloween was just supposed to be the the brand label uh, for it. Yeah. You know, you're just, you, you'd have two-off stories. Um, but uh, I agree with I, I'm more hopeful for it as a spiritual sequel to Cloverfield than a direct sequel to Cloverfield, especially because they changed the way that it was filmed, you know, that it's not the, the found footage uh, style, specifically because I still remember calling back to the godfather of the found footage films, um, uh, uh, Blair Witch Project, Blair Witch 2, Book of Shadows. Yeah. They they decided to change things up and do a more traditional horror movie, and then they had to come in and they tried to fix it, and that's that ranks, in all honesty, still as one of the worst movies I've ever seen in my life. Like, Book of Shadows, Blair Witch 2 is horrifically bad. So just the idea that they're not 
um, doing it as a, oh, well, this is exactly what happens right after Cloverfield, but we just changed everything about the way we presented the movie to you. Like, the fact that they're not doing that makes me hopeful that things will will turn out better. See, I have the, the opposite reaction to that as you do. You know, I mean, while I do acknowledge that Book of Shadows, Blair Witch 2, is a tremendously terrible movie. It is. I, I don't see anything wrong with completely, you know, ripping up your aesthetic and saying like, hey, we're going to do this differently, you know, and, and make it like a traditional movie. I mean, one of the things that I think he talks about in that interview, Drew Goddard, um, is the idea that, you know, yeah, like we're saying, there is, you know, sort of like a big budget Hollywood blockbuster which is going on and we're just seeing it from this weird angle. And he said that there was actually originally a scene written where when they're going through the sort of like triage ward or whatever it is with all the mm-hmm. military there, at one point the the characters were going to like run by like this super buff Mark Wahlberg type of soldier <laughs> who was with this, you know, super hot supermodel, you know, Kate Moss, you know, woman. And they just, as they walk by, they overhear her say something like, you know, but Charles, why does it have to be you? And he's like, I'm the only person who can do it. If I don't do this, who, you know, who will, you know? And like the idea that like this is that movie which you're expecting this to be with, you know, the, yeah. the cliches and everything. And it's like, well, that's going on. Okay, so, you know, that is, there's your your superstar actor and, and everything like that. And we're just, who cares? You know, because honestly, <laughs> you know, there's monsters. So who cares about them? So, right, right. You know, that kind of thing. And I, I just sort of love that idea that, you know, when when this was a success and they were talking about sequel, they were throwing out possibilities and they were like, maybe it's the same series of events told from a different perspective. Like, do it through, like, all military cameras or something like that, you know? Right. Or maybe it is a traditional movie or whatever. And, you know, now what they're doing, I think, I think you kind of almost have to you know, this far down the road is say like, you know what, it's just, it's just another story like it, you know? Well, I mean, there, and, there's no way that they could, uh, like to speak to your earlier point about the fact that like found footage is its whole derivative genre. Yeah. Now, like they couldn't make a, even a spiritual sequel to Cloverfield in the same style without people rolling their eyes and being like, ugh, again, yeah. you know, yeah. like it, it, it would seem tired out of the gate. So, but yeah. you know, no. I, uh, I don't know. I, I guess book of shadows just scarred me so bad that it was just sort of, but, but you know what, there are plenty of things where, it, you know, the script starts out as written for a different reason and then gets sort of like absorbed into the mythos. Die hard with a vengeance started out as Simon says, and then they just changed the villain to be related to, uh, Alan Rickman's character from the first one. And I was like, Oh, yeah. well, okay. I think all the Die Hard movies started off that way in some way or another. You know, it's kind of crazy, that franchise. Mm-hmm. And, and it works, you know? Um, I mean, those movies... It worked twice. <laughs> I would almost agree with you, although I'm I'm curious. I, I, I'm wondering if our twice, if our two times are the same two times. I think. Come on, let's go ahead and find out. What's your two times? Well, okay. I, I guess I would. I don't. I don't really know. It depends on how you want to count. Okay. So we we. It's an established fact 
yes. that Die Hard is one of the greatest films ever made. Correct. Okay. All right. So we're on agreement. Oh we're, we're, gosh. <laughs> yes. We're we're With we're that. simpatico right there. Okay. So Die Hard Two. Um, Beneath contempt. Really? Okay. I, I, I'm not a Rennie Harlan fan to begin with. Well, I mean, is anyone really a Rennie Harlan fan? And yet, is anyone really not a Rennie Harlan fan? Yes, I think I'm it's it's part Harlan of our, our 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 nature as human beings. It's like you know, good and evil. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's like sides of a coin. Like you are a Rennie Harlan fan, and you are not a Rennie Harlan fan simultaneously. It's like that's how you exist. <laughs> Schrodinger's Harlan fan. Okay, I can see that. Schrodinger. Uh, no, Schrodinger's no. Harlan. Yeah, yeah, that's good. <laughs> Uh, no, I uh, I don't um, I don't like Die Hard Two, Die Harder all that much. It's only called really Die know. Harder in the marketing. It's Die Hard Two, you know. Hey, Die Hard Two. The, what, see, the thing is, it's been so many years since I brought myself to watch it. Isn't Die Harder in the? No. the it's in the, the trailers. Cards? It's on the poster. It's on the everything. But in the movie, it's just called Die Hard Two. Well, I skip it every time and go straight to Die Hard with a Vengeance. So, see, I mean, I'm, I I like Die Hard too. I I don't think it's great, but I think it's decent. Die Hard with a Vengeance, I don't think is great. I think it's decent. I, I will say that what? I think I prefer Die Hard two to Die Hard with a Vengeance. That's nuts. I will, with... I will grant I will grant that Die Hard with a Vengeance, the original ending that they should have gone with, is much better than the ending that they did go with. Okay, but up until that that ending at the uh, Canadian hotel um, is it's a it's fantastic. It's I, I loved every minute of it up until that point. I was like, oh no. So so, what did you think about uh, Live Free or Die Hard, or as they call it overseas, Die Hard Four Point Trying not to, kid. To borrow a line from Han Solo, did not like Die Hard Four at all. See, this is the thing. While everyone hates that movie with a passion, I actually like that movie quite a bit. I would say it's the second best Die Hard movie. That is crazy. That's that what everyone not, tells me. That you know, can't. I don't. Uh, Die Hard Four was bad enough that I did not go to Die Hard Five. Well, that's you win because a good day <laughs> to Die Hard is horrible. That's horrible. what I heard. Horrible. Horrible. Oh my god, it's such a <laughs> terrible movie. Such a terrible movie. I am looking forward to Die Hard Year One, even though it's kind of weird. But the main reason uh, is because it's directed by the guy who did Die Hard Four And oh hey, bonus. Okay, check out the Detective. Have you ever the seen detective. the Detective? I have not seen. The it's detective. a Frank Sinatra movie where he plays a detective. Yeah, doing his thing. It was made in the '60s, I think, um, and it is based on a book which is in the same series as the book that Die Hard is based on. So essentially, no really? Frank Sinatra is playing John McClane, but oh my gosh, a different. It's really good. It, it it is a really good movie. I mean, I I have a feeling that I haven't read the books, but from what I've heard about them, I think Sinatra's portrayal is much truer to the character like in the book it's not you know a cop trying to get his wife back it's a cop who i think is at his retirement party and it's his like grandkids or whoever 
who are being held hostage, and he needs to 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 get wow. them free. All so right, that sounds good. Yeah, I don't know. And and then Die Hard Two is based on another book, unrelated. Die yeah. Hard Three. I mean, it's it's weird, like all of these things, but that has nothing to do with anything, I guess. Really, Cloverfield, whatever. Who cares? Die it has hard. to do with Ten Cloverfield Lane, is what it has to do with. Yeah, all roads which by default has to do with Cloverfield. Oh, by the way, no, 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 no. It it does because these all take place in the same continuity. What? Wait, all the diehards take yes. place. A diehard Cloverfield and Star Trek all fit in the same continuity. I'm curious as to how Die Hard does. I know how Cloverfield does because of Slusho. Yes. Okay. So there's the Slusho thing. Now, um, because of the Slusho or whatever, that means it also takes place in Lost continuity. Now, on Lost, there's Oceanic Flight, whatever it was, right? That is referenced in Chuck, the television yes. show. Yeah. And on the television show Chuck, there is a episode where they basically do Die Hard at the at the Best Buy or whatever is what it was yeah. called. Yeah. And in that episode, Reginald Val Johnson, he's he's not just playing, you know, a character <laughs> similar to Al Powell. He's straight up playing Al Powell, which means nice. that Chuck fits into Die Hard continuity. So Die Hard and Cloverfield fit into Star Trek continuity. Wow. And here I I was impressed just in reasoning out that uh Cloverfield uh fits into Super Eight continuity because <laughs> It's the story of that creature. Super Eight is that is the creature escaping, and then Cloverfield is it's sending a uh, an enforcer back to teach us a lesson for what happened. There you go. I like that. And that's why the creatures look so similar. <laughs> it makes sense. It makes sense. It does to me. And they came from Delta Vega. Well, why wouldn't they? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, all right. Any final thoughts on Cloverfield? Worth seeing. Definitely worth seeing. Uh, I, I think it, it, you know it, it's a technically really well made movie. It's to the point. It's not going to ask too much of you, and um, it's really well put together. I, I think that it the second time through it, it doesn't carry as much emotional punch, but it's still a really well made movie. Yeah, I, I do really love Cloverfield. Um, I I was a huge fan of it when it came out. Um, my opinion of it maybe hasn't, uh, risen since, since then, but it, it, I'm still very, very fond of the movie and I definitely recommend checking it out. I definitely think it's the best movie that we've seen so far in this series and looking ahead, I think it is the best movie that, uh, JJ produced that he didn't direct. So yeah, definitely check it out. Yeah. All right. Well, it's been fun talking about Cloverfield today, but that's not all we're talking about this week on Trek FM. So here's a look at what you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.FM, Standard Orbit. With Kirk, Spock, McCoy, Uhura, Chekhov, Scotty, Sulu, and the Enterprise. That is your crew. That is the family of the original series. And yes, we would like to see that maintained and protected and treated with reverence. Earl Grey. This 547-meter-long, 32-deck, 502-crew member. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. To the journey! Wow. Part of me is going, wow, this is really good. Another part of me is going, really? Like, this is what you spend your time on? 
I kind of wish that we could use the whole time that we allot for our podcast for you to read this synopsis, because I really enjoyed story time with Tristan. <laughs> Warp 5. If they could have kind of told us it's more of a future for us, but we're going to build up to the Star Trek you know. And Larry's uh, comment back was, well, that would mean that they kind of were planning it out and they knew what they were doing ahead of time. <laughs> Let's <laughs> sing. That sounds right. like Larry. Commentary, Trek stars. And I can see, you know, Abrams recognizing that talent and being like, you know what? I know that you can make a good movie here. You know, I'm not convinced that I can yet, but I think that you can. And I'm going to learn from you, too, so that one day I can make a Star Wars movie. The 602 Club. How do these kids work for you, especially in this first movie? It's amazing when you look back on, on how far they've come and the chemistry that they had right off the bat because from the word go when they were on the Hogwarts Express all at the same time, that's really when it, it took off. That's really when the movie took off for me. Literary Treks. I was given a couple of mandates for Rough Beasts of Empire, one of which was, of course, jump the story ahead four years. Another was get Cisco back on a starship um, and also have Spock uh, in, in, the, in the story. Meta Trex. Yeah, so I'm not sure Kern is really the best example in that case because, you know, while he's having an, ex an existential crisis, he doesn't remember having one. So. <laughs> and maybe that's the real answer. Maybe to, that is uh, the real answer. Lobotomy is the, is the answer to an existential crisis. So. Melodic treks. I personally had no problem with the way Tasha Yar died in Skin of Evil. Space is a dangerous place, and I know that we like to see our heroes give their lives in a grand and fashionable manner, but sometimes they just meet an oil slick and get electrocuted by it. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out these shows and get in on the Daily Trek Talk. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, or you can download our files directly from the website if you go to Trek.fm, Trek.fm. Uh, just, uh, you know, find us. You'll find us. You know where to find us because you're listening to us right now. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That follows. <laughs> hey, if you want to help us out, you can uh, buy some stuff on our store. If you go to trek.fm slash store, you'll be taken to our Redbubble store with uh, all of our T-shirts and um, bumper stickers or whatever you want to call them, or notebooks, or pillows, or whatever you want. You can uh, represent Trek FM uh, at your next convention. Maybe you're going to the convention in New York that they just announced. That's right. Represent Trek FM. Let everybody know. You know, the uh, word of mouth is uh, something that helps us, and a great way to uh, employ that leverage is uh, to wear something with Trek FM on it. And somebody can come up to you at that convention and say, so what's Trek FM? And you say, I'm glad you asked. You can steer them to us. Or maybe someone will come up to you and say, Trek FM? I listen to Trek FM. High five. And then That's that'll right. be fun, too. And, it, and new friendships can be formed by your mutual love of Trek FM. Yeah, not to mention the fact that, you know, the shirts and stuff look really cool. Oh, that they do. Yeah. Uh, Aaron Harvey does the designs, and he does a heck of a job. Yeah. So go over there, uh, trek.fm slash store. If you go to Redbubble and type in trek.fm, you'll be able to find everything. And, uh, yeah, help us out. 
You can also help us out by becoming a patron of the network on patreon.com. If you go to patreon.com slash trekfm, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm, you can donate to the cause. Patreon is basically like Kickstarter on a monthly basis. And there's all sorts of perks which you can get, whether it's early access to episodes or exclusive downloads or participating on our uh, patrons roundtable where you can do some podcasting of your own. Uh, there's lots of cool stuff, lots of cool benefits uh, for being a patron of the network. And uh, yeah, we, we definitely appreciate your patronage. And uh, yeah, if you can help us out, you know, please do because uh, it's, it's, it's definitely needed. All right. One more way that you could help us out is by heading on over to audible.com who sponsors our shows uh and trying it out for free if you for go free. to yeah if you go to audibletrial.com slash trek fm you can get a free audiobook of your choice just for signing up john do you have a book for us this week i do speaking of lovecraftian horrors uh which inspired the monster in cloverfield I have At the Mountains of Madness, written mm -hmm. by H.P. Lovecraft and narrated by Edward Herman, uh, a well-respected stage and screen actor. The Lovecraft classic is a must-have for every fan of classic terror. When a geologist leads an expedition to the Antarctic Plateau, his aim is to find rock and plant specimens from deep within the continent. The barren landscape offers no evidence of any life form until they stumble upon the ruins of a lost civilization. Strange fossils of creatures unknown to man lead the team deeper, where they find carved stones dating back millions of years. But it is their discovery of the terrifying city of the Old Ones that leads them to encounter with an untold menace. Oh, and by the way, this fits into Star Trek continuity, too, because the Old Ones were referenced a couple of times in the original well series. So, oh, so Cthulhu is part of Star Trek continuity? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, now, see, that is a Star Trek movie I would like to see. <laughs> I want to see Cthulhu go up against the crew of the Enterprise. Yeah, yeah that'll be Star that Trek be... Four. Star Trek Forever. <laughs> well, the thing is, Cthulhu comes from the deep like the whales, mm -hmm. so they can continue to do the iterations and everything, and oh. Cthulhu comes from the deep, and there you go. They have to go back in time to save Cthulhu's? And uh, Cthulhu, <laughs> although Cthulhu exists outside space and time, oh. or uh, definitions that we understand, yeah. the old ones are a tricky lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If if you're interested in that type of stuff, definitely check out Cabin in the Woods. Yeah, oh, yeah, yes, yeah. yeah. So, John, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me. My name will be Kessel Junkie, just about anywhere, but especially on Twitter, where you'll see me lurking around when I'm not in the Babel Conference. And uh, you'll also find me on a podcast called Words with Nerds um, on iTunes, Stitcher, all the usual places that I do with my buddy Craig. And you can find me on Twitter at Mumbles3K, or you can find the show on Twitter at ComTrackStars, or you can email us at ComTrackStars at gmail.com. And you can also find me on CommentaryTrackStars.com, doing Commentary TrackStars. And you can find me on Trek FM producing 
From There to Here, which is our daily rewatch of the entire franchise for the 50th anniversary. Um, I'm currently in the middle of uh, two blocks, so eight days in a row listening to me talk about Enterprise. I'm sure that's everyone's dream. It is good stuff. <laughs> Do not sell yourself short, young man. I, it's 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 a very interesting time for Enterprise because we've just entered season three in the Zindi arc, and there's definitely a lot to say about that. So yes, definitely check out from there to here. They're only 15 minutes long, just 15 minutes a day. You can, you know, listen to it while you're brushing your teeth in the morning, and then you can just think about those two episodes of Star Trek all day long. Come even home, if watch even them. if you haven't embarked on your own rewatch, I think that from there to here is a wonderful tool for figuring out uh, if it's a busy day, prioritizing <laughs> what yes. you might rewatch. It's a it's a virtual rewatch. And yes, it is, and it's a lot of fun. So you can listen to that, and then you can head over to Facebook and uh, find the Babel Conference, which is our listener forum, and you can talk about those episodes which everyone else is talking about uh on a daily basis and uh yeah share your thoughts and and uh, there's some interesting discussions going on over there so check out the babel conference and trek fm in general on facebook and you can also find trek fm on twitter at trek fm all right well that's pretty much everything for today. Uh, Cloverfield, 10 Cloverfield Lane. We're not going to be able to cover that as part of this series, but we'll touch on it at some point down the road for sure. We will inevitably mention it. Absolutely. Um, we will be back next week to talk about the fifth J.J. Abrams production, Morning Glory. Morning Glory.